they were stuttering. I have no idea why, but they were stuttering. So welcome to Lunch with Mike. And in this case, Eileen, she's over here. Well, she's over here. No, she's over here. I love doing that because I could never figure out which one it is. I'm backwards. Anyway, Lunch with Mike brought to you by Federal Sales Sherpa and Market US. And we stream live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. And Eastern, that is. And today we have an exciting show for you. A little Shakespeare, if that's okay. So let's move on. And there she is, the Shakespeare. <laughs> to bid or not to bid? That is the question. Well, the $65,000 question. Your uh, snow's all gone in Chicago? Yes, we had a beautiful, beautiful weekend. It was about 50 degrees all weekend, so couldn't look, complain at all. Look at all of our snow right here. <laughs> right there, right there, right there. That's our snow. <laughs> Your jealousy is noted. And, um, well, you know, what the heck. Can't complain. Anyway, we have a wonderful program for you today. And uh, Eileen's going to tell us all about it in a few minutes. But we got to pay the bills. Got to pay those bills. Otherwise, we can't be here. Benefit USA, one of our premier clients and also one of Eileen's clients. We're getting close. I believe it's December 5th, is it? Uh, 15th, 7th, 8th. What, first couple weeks of December, open season closes. Don't let it happen. Give Daniel a call at Benefits USA. Numbers on the screen and the website. And you can also go back and look at our various four channels, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And you can see some of his videos where he actually gives a demonstration of the program. They wrote it all in-house. It's up on a secure server at Azure. And uh, it'll be well worth it, but save you money, save you time, and keep your employees. That's all that matters. So let's go back, uh, have a couple words with Eileen first. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to do, and then we'll get into the slides. And we should right. probably be done within an hour. I'm guessing. I don't know. Sounds perfect. Well, the idea here today, I, I'm very passionate, Michael, about making sure that vendors only write winning proposals and they don't know what that means when they haven't been actually out there selling to the federal government they've just been responding to blind bid after blind bid and that can get very costly over time and today we're going to talk about all the issues wrapped around a proposal effort how much it could cost a company and maybe bring in a series of about 20 questions we need to start asking ourselves before we start putting money and time and effort into a proposal that maybe we shouldn't be writing. So my goal today, Michael, is to save anybody who's listening to this, this event today. If you're listening or to a recording later on of this, if I save you from writing one loser, I could be saving you tens of thousands of dollars. And that's the goal today is to save your heart save your budget. Michael. 
What about those that are watching? Anybody who's watching, once again, maybe even. I always like to find a way to trip you up, and I found it. Finally, after nine, ten years knowing you, I finally got you tripped up. Listening or get the get the recording. It's called YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. We haven't done any podcasts. I don't see a reason to do it because I look terrible on camera, and I like it. Anyway, continue. Sorry, I digress. So yeah, um, so I guess we can move forward and work through the slides. We have a lot to cover today and it's going to be heart wrenching and gut wrenching, but it's the truth. And that's what we need to hear right now is the truth so that we can move our business forward in the right direction. That's what today is about. Saving you time and money. Oh. <laughs> I, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it that I fit right it. there, didn't it? And I didn't awesome. bring I didn't bring Mel Brooks with me today. I, I really deeply apologize. But while you're doing the slides, I'll find them. So okay, good. Anyway, at the, end. the good news is when I push the button, I get to sit down. Awesome. Okay, here we go. To bid or not to bid? That's the sixty-five thousand dollar question. So. I want to talk a little bit about why it's incredibly important to have this decision. And I, but before I get into the details of that, I want you to know that I have a personal mission. My personal mission is to educate people new in this business, motivate people who've been frustrated in this business and, and motivate and validate the experience. So I'm here to get the conversation started, the bid no bid conversation. And the idea here is to save you time and money, mostly heartbreak and pain. So the idea here is to create great relationships with our customers and with our team. And I have a saying here, which I'm hoping before the end of today, you add this to your screensaver or even on your refrigerator door, write less proposals, win more. So it's going to be one of those conversations that I'm going to be just starting with you today. And you're going to be having this conversation over and over again at the office and really tweaking and making this conversation better and better. You know, there are many, many hundreds of companies that that could potentially be watching this right now and in the future as well. And if I can save 10 of you from writing a loser proposal, I might have even saved 100, 200, 500K in this meeting alone. So that's my goal is to get you to investing your resources in selling and building relationships. That's what we really need to get focused on. So what is a bid? Well, there's a couple of phrases and some of the bid sites, they call them RFPs, requests for proposals. Now, those are usually at public bid sites and they're very extensive. There could be a request for quote where maybe you're on a contract vehicle on GSA schedule or some sort of blanket purchase agreement or IDIQ or GWAC where only the people that have access to that particular contract vehicle are invited to write a quick quote. Those are a little bit smaller, 25 to 100 pages. Task orders, the same thing. Now, a simplified acquisition is what they call something that goes into open market. And um, all they need are three written bids. They don't need a contract vehicle. 
And then there might be also sole source negotiated or sources sought. Um, sole source negotiated is where they're basically saying we're planning to sole source this and we're going to just simply negotiate the rate. But also they sometimes put things out called sources sought. We'll talk a little bit more about these in just a moment. RFPs are on the public sites. It can take as many as 265 days for an RFP to be awarded that was posted on SAM.gov. In fact, recently uh, in 2021, there was a huge RFP that HHS put out there. It was called the CIOSP4. It was for IT services. And right now we're at the we're we're into federal year 2023 and the awards are still not announced. So sometimes these can take a year, two years to be awarded. So you need to understand what it's going to take to actually put the proposal and all the parts and pieces together. And sometimes they're due in 30 days and you have to spend every second of those 30 days getting it together. You might have to gather the team around. So I want you to start thinking about what is that going to cost you to respond to this big RFP and what is going to be the results of that RFP that you're responding to. Is it simply um, an indefinite delivery contract vehicle where all they're going to do is name, you know, 12 to 1800 vendors? Yeah, you won, you're in, but every single task is going to be a bit. So you also have to realize not only the cost of the proposal itself, but all the efforts after it's been awarded, what kind of requests for quotes and task order proposals and smaller bids that you're going to have to submit after that. This is going to cost time and money. We also have to dedicate ourselves before we even think about writing a bid is to make sure that every page is perfect. That's not easy. I don't know if you've ever written even five pages of anything, but making sure that the right numbers, how it's numbered on the pages and what you say at the bottom is the solicitation number proper at the bottom of the page. Are the margins correct? Is the font correct? You need to also sell them exactly what they asked for. No more, no less. This is where a lot of people get tripped up. They see what's on the bid and they think, you know, they didn't ask for this extra thing. Or they forgot to consider this thing that has to do with safety. And all of a sudden we're adding all these extras in, which is going to make the bid more expensive. And it wasn't what they asked for. And you're going to get eliminated. You also need to realize that you need to be very confident about how you fill out the forms, how you fill out the past performance, the technical, the management plan. It's a painful, painful process. And in fact, it's created a marketplace where there's great proposal writers out there that charge between $150 and $250 an hour to support you if you needed help writing a proposal. So remember, you have to, if you're gonna go go for it, you have to dedicate time, energy, money, and the idea that if we're gonna send this in, it's got to be perfect. So if there was something that was more of a request for quote, that usually is when there is a contract vehicle already being used. A GSA schedule is a classic version of a contract vehicle, which later on and any time 
outside of this meeting. You could talk to Michael Price about this all day long. But GSA schedule is, the word schedule is a terrible word, but it's a negotiated price list that you and the government agreed upon. And once that price list has been approved, you will be invited through their internal bid site called GSA eBuy to bid on opportunities against other vendors within your same category. Now, when that happens, those quotes, the RFP process isn't as extensive because you don't have to send in your financials and all this other stuff that you originally did when you filled out the GSA original proposal. But when you're going after a quote within, it's usually the task order, three pass performance, pricing, and a couple of references. That's usually about as much as an actual um, quote that you'd have to put together for in an RFQ at GSA. Now also a simplified acquisition would be something where they go open market. That's what they call it, open market. And for example, they might come to your store and say, I wanna buy 50 of these items and 50 times the item that you're offering is over $25,000, let's just say. If it's over 25,000 to 250,000, they're probably gonna have to get their hands on three separate quotes from three vendors without using a contract vehicle. That's a pretty direct opportunity and it's typically tied to products most of the time. I'm not saying always, but the simplified acquisition uh, level is up to $250,000 on an everyday basis. If there's a disaster in your backyard, that number can go up to $750,000. So if there's, for example, um, a hurricane or a fire, and the federal government says, you know, this is now a, a disaster and FEMA's coming in, those dollar amounts can go up to 750,000. During the pandemic, pandemic purchases could be three bids and done up to $750,000. Now, sometimes they're posted on SAM.gov, but usually the buyer just calls three vendors that are equal in size and scope that have the same items and just simply say, can you give me a quick quote? And they get it in writing, they fill the file and they call it a simplified acquisition. It's also typically a set aside for a small business. Not always, but they try their best most of the time to make sure those are small business set asides. Now a sole source negotiated, for example, they might use an 8A contractor, which is someone who is minority, a minority or socially or economically disadvantaged company. And the SBA gave them this certification called the 8A. They have this 8A certification for anywhere between uh, one and eight or nine years. Now, if they go over a certain dollar threshold of worth, they will graduate from the 8A program. It'll either be dollar amount or the timing, eight or nine years. There's service disabled, veteran-owned small business, woman-owned small business, hub zone, tribal, um, and there's veteran-owned business as well. So they could potentially provide sole source contracts to 8A, service disabled, vet, woman-owned, hub zone, or a tribal company, but they need a proposal for the file and they need to be able to negotiate it. So then there's the RFI or services side. Now, if you ever see anything like this at the public bid sites, this is typically when the buyer and the end user have a large business in mind. I want you to think about this for a minute. 
and they put an RFI or a source of thought out there to satisfy their small business officer is saying, hey, you need to at least publish that you're looking for small businesses. And what they'll do is they'll put a source of thought out for a small business or a woman-owned business or an 8A. And they'll say, anybody out there that can build a rocket ship? And you know, people send in proposals, but they look at these sources of thought and they say, no one really quite has these capabilities. So we're gonna open it up to a full and open opportunity to the largest. So sometimes the purpose of a source of thought or an RFI is to show in the file that they shopped for smalls, but no one really had the capabilities. Another reason for a source of thought is they have a problem. They don't know how to solve it. They're looking for ideas from industry. So they just put the problem out there as a source of thought to see if anybody is willing to send them the answers to their questions. That's another reason why they sometimes put out source of thought is to see if anybody gives away their secret recipe. So I suggest that if you respond to an RFI, realize that you might be, especially as a small business, filling a file so that they plan to go large, or they might be looking, they might say, hey, we're looking for 8As because they have one 8A in mind, but they wanna make it an 8A set aside and they need at least two that are capable of responded, and then they do the competition between the two. So there's different reasons for RFIs and sources sought, but just understand that these are typically file fillers. You're getting your foot in the door. You're able to sell them something. But what I say is try to work behind the scenes on a RFI or sources sought. Find the project team behind the actual posting to see what's actually happening. I have another comment here that's kind of an insider comment that I wanted to share with you. On GSA, vendors are seeing a lot more RFIs, and here's why. GSA has a team of customer service directors. Those customer service directors are going out to the agencies, and they're saying to the agencies, why are you posting your opportunities on SAM when you can use our contractors on GSA? They're salespeople for GSA. And so what they're convincing the buyers to do, because the buyer might say, no, I don't think there's enough vendors on GSA that actually does this work. And the customer service director says, listen, why don't you let me post an RFI on the category of what you're looking for and see how many vendors respond. And so now what they're doing is they're posting RFIs on based on a category, let's say you're a furniture company selling ergo chairs and they just send it on that category. Hey, anybody have executive ergo chairs? And then they get, let's say 20 responses. They're able to walk that into the buyer and say, you don't have to go open market to all the large businesses. See, there's 20 businesses right here on that, on this category. Why don't you shop GSA? They're doing this a lot with services. So they're getting, the customer service directors are really starting to capture a lot more people, a lot more buyers to start considering GSA schedule first. So what I say to you, GSA vendors, if you're seeing these RFIs and you're seeing an opportunity that looks a lot like what you do, respond to the RFI and then 
go to the agency and try to find the project team behind the opportunity because it's, it's a source of sought time and tell them we're on GSA, we have these capabilities, can we do some demos for you? Try to capture the opportunity before it goes into the RFQ or RFP stage. Now, I wanna talk about a very tough subject. I call it blind bidding. It's something that makes me very unhappy because a lot of companies, surfsam.gov, they do keyword searches and makes code searches and they start finding opportunities and they say, this one's perfect for us and that one's an opportunity for us. Why aren't we bidding on this? Why aren't we bidding on that? Many times it's managers, I'm looking at you managers or owners who've never sold in the federal marketplace and they're beating up their sales team with this. Why didn't you know about this beforehand? Why aren't we bidding on this? And then what they do is they wrangle the entire team to make them write this proposal that they shouldn't have been writing because nobody knew anything about the opportunity. They didn't know anybody. They didn't know it was coming out. It's due in a week or less. And everybody starts throwing all their resources, their evenings, their weekends on a blind loser bid. Just because the owner or the manager is mad at everybody for not getting in front of it and they're getting their co competitive edge, you know, they're, it's driving them crazy because their competitor got there first and it's obvious in the bid that it happened. So this happens. They need three bids for almost everything they post. Do you really want to write that L2 or L3 bid? So I want you to start thinking about what it's costing you to write loser after loser after blind bid loser. You're guessing about what they needed, thinking that your solution is perfect when they already had two or three in mind. I want you to know that especially if something goes public, you've got to know they've been talking to the incumbent and you've got to know that they've been hedging their bets with at least two others. So if it was the first time that you saw an opportunity that was posted at SAM or at GSA eBuy or within your IDIQ and it's due in a week or less and you knew nothing about it, I call that a no bid. Otherwise, you're going to be pushing all your resources on a 5% chance of winning. Think about it. Why would you put everybody through that? Just grab the name and number of the person at the bottom of that bid and try to find the project team behind it and go after the next opportunity. Stop killing your team over weekends and evenings and holidays, trying to write a proposal that you happen to find on sam.gov that you know nothing about. So I want you to start thinking about time is money. There are other people out there in this business that want you to write proposal after loser proposal after loser proposal. I've had debates with people online about this. What they think is if you do a shotgun approach that you write a proposal and you lose. Then you write another proposal for that agency and you lose. And you write another one and you do enough debriefings with them that they'll actually give you a shot. And I'm just telling you that that costs you way more money than simply following these opportunities, seeing who posts the most of them, and just calling on the project team and maybe disrupt 
the opportunity before it ever hits the streets next time. You need to start getting strategic about your bids that you're gonna actually respond to. So what I propose to you is once again, dedicating you and your team to only writing winners. And it could take as fast as 10 minutes to determine whether a bid is a winner or not. So now I'd like to go through a series of questions that I want you to start asking yourself, yourself as a team, bring the team together, sit down, circle them up and say, first of all, where was the bid posted? Did we find it on system for award management under the contract opportunities? What did we use to find this opportunity? Was it a keyword search or a NAICS code search or an agency search? Or did our client tell us that they were posting it on SAM and to keep an eye out for it? Is it on GSA? And we are on GSA. Are they running it through our category that we're on? Are they using our set-asides within our category that we're on? Are they using our words for what we do? Is it not getting posted anywhere? Where is it being posted? Are they just going to send it to us via email because they're doing a simplified acquisition? Are they walking into our store? Have they called us? So who identified the opportunity? Did the owner find it just by late night surfing on Sam? Or did our team who's been talking to the project manager and the program manager inside the agency, have they been talking to the customer for a while? Who is on our capture, on our capture team? So my question to that is, do we have salespeople that have been talking to the customer? Did we bring a program or project manager or technical person of our own out on site to talk to the customer, to show them our capability? Who do we know at the customer site? Do we know the contracting officer? Do we know their protocols and procedures and the way they like the proposals to look? Have we written proposals for them before? Do we know the end user? And what I mean by the end user, for example, if you're selling construction or flooring or building materials or electrical, or maybe you're a furniture vendor, or, or maybe you do pictures and plants, you sell the facilities, you sell to the engineering department or installation support. Do those people know you? Because they're gonna be the ones reading your proposal. If you're in the IT world, the end user is going to be the program or project manager that might be the, you know, the CIO, the, the, the um, computer security person. Who are the people that are going to be reading the technical? Who wrote the technical? That's your end users. If you sell training or recruiting or you help, um, you help the HR team with bringing on benefits like benefits management, right? You'd be selling to the HR team would be your end users. And then who's the stakeholder that's part of this project? What I mean by stakeholder is who's the regional director or commander or who are you working with the end user to serve another customer? So let's go back to the facilities. Who is the facilities department building out that space for? Are they building it out for the IT team? That would be your stakeholder team. So they're not technically involved in the project, but boy, they have a big say. So who do we know at the customer site and who developed the scope of work? Were you part of that? Did you give them input on some of the ideas that they had? Did you, you show them their techno your technology? So who developed the scope of work? I'm hoping you had some say in it. Otherwise, you're reading a scope of work that was written 
by somebody else, probably your competition. What's the contract vehicle they're using? Are they using the GSA schedule? Are they using a GWAC, a government-wide acquisition contract like Oasis or 8A Stars or Vets2? Are they using Alliant? Are they using CIOSP3? Is there an incumbent? Now, this information can be found in the contract data of past contracts. If you did your homework and you knew how to pull this intelligence based on the description in the, in the project, you could figure out who the incumbent is. In fact, if you know your competitors and you know their verbiage for things, by reading the scope of work, you might be able to uncover some words that they use in their scopes that helps you realize who the incumbent is. Now, many times clients say to me, well, it's a new requirement, so there is no incumbent. So what I like to do is use keywords and NAICS codes at that agency and look at the old contract data and find out who did something similar to this work in the past, in the recent past. So usually you can get your, you know, what we call your usual suspects list to see who's on it. Is this an open bid that any business size can bid on? Or are they setting it aside for a particular set aside? And will that fit your set aside? So what if you're an 8A company, but it's a service disabled veteran set aside? We got a problem, Houston, right? So who else will be bidding? Who else do we predict would be bidding? Maybe you went through a walkthrough and you saw a couple competitors there. So who do you think is going to come to the table? You know they hedge their bets with other vendors. Did we ever discuss these requirements with the customer before the bid hit the streets? If we never had a conversation with them and this blindsided us and it's due in a week, we're in trouble. What's the customer's fear of what could possibly go wrong here? So for example, if you're a small business going after a huge project, you need to know what's bugging them about possibly picking you. You need to know what their issues are about what could possibly go wrong here. For example, if you're in IT, of course you know the customer's gonna be afraid of any type of security breach. If you're in facilities, they're gonna care about sustainability, they're gonna care about safety records, they're gonna care about the quality of the final product, that you're gonna meet those capabilities. And that if you're in construction, do your people have the proper clearances to get into that building? So they've got lots of fears before picking anybody. And I'm hoping that you already alleviated those fears by talking to them way before the bid came out. So did we discuss these requirements with them? Did we do a webinar? Did we have a training? Did we do a walkthrough? Was it with other vendors or was it alone? Did they have phone calls with us? I have another question that's a really interesting one that opens up a lot of discussion. What's the win theme here? So win theme, I'll ask my salespeople that whenever they bring me an opportunity, they'll say, I really want to bid on this. And I'll say, what's the win theme? And they kind of look at me, you know, what, what are you talking about? Win theme is the one reason why they're gonna pick you. So for example, let's say you're an IT company and you brought in your project manager and your project manager went to school with the federal project manager and they know each other. And the federal project manager says to you, listen, when you write this proposal, make sure my schoolmate there is the program manager for this. 
So what's your win theme? Because you're the only vendor who has this employee on your team. So you're going to put that person's name and resume forward throughout the entire proposal. So a win theme are all the ingredients of what makes your proposal special. Sometimes when I um, talk about win themes, this is a whole section in a class that Mike and I have available that you can uh, buy at Market US for $997, $997. We have a whole section on building win themes, part of that class. And we use the idea of baking a cake. And what we do is we ask the classroom, you know, the proposal says we want a cake. Okay. And you're going to ask a series of questions. What's the occasion? How many people would you like? How many layers? What is the flavors? What is the taste of that person? Is it male or female? Um, what are their favorite, you know, tastes? What kind of layers do you want on there? How do you want the topping? Where do you want it delivered? Do you want it frozen when it's delivered or the day before? Or do you want a big presentation? You see, once you know all the ingredients of the wind theme, it's really easy to write a proposal. If you don't know what the wind theme is behind that scope, no go. What is the customer's fear and how are you going to alleviate that fear and present yourself as the safe bet? We're the only ones who have. We're the only ones who can. Okay. In fact, just before this meeting, I had one of those conversations with one of my clients who's a manufacturer of some medical equipment. And they had about five or six items that made their equipment unique that, that no one else could touch. And they had pre-meetings with the customer and they ranked which one of those items were the most important to the customer. And they're presenting. Um, in the proposal, what they say in the proposal, the question in the proposal says, and do you have any other capabilities of this equipment that makes yours unique? And we listed in order what was most important and why. So we had the win themes in that proposal. I'm very confident that they're going to win. So what is the true value of this opportunity? I always like to look at that before we write the proposal, because you need to add up you got to get your numbers, your calculator out, figure out what is this opportunity going to make you and then build in the writing proposal part. If this proposal is going to make you, this opportunity is going to make you a hundred grand, but it costs you 60 grand in time, resources, and people to put it all together. What is the point of writing this proposal in the first place? So you need to consider what the value is and what is, what is the reason that the customer would choose us? What is the main strength? So we're going to need, be asking these questions over and over again. What is our investment in bidding on this? Do we have to hire a proposal writer at $250 an hour to help us write this? Do we have to bring our program and project management team? So now they're not billable right now while they're writing this proposal. Are we going to make them work on it on weekends and evenings and keep them away from their families? Because they're going to have to explain that to their families. This is an investment on everybody's case. So what type of procurement is this going to be? If it's an RFP, it's going to be a big investment. If it's an IDO, IQ request for quote, it's going to be a faster proposal, but not as big as an RFP. Is it going to be a task order proposal on, on something we're already doing? That might be a lot faster. Is it coming through eBuy? What is the budget? And what I'm talking about is what is the customer's budget for what you're about to propose? And are we going to even make money on this? 
Get your calculator out before you write the proposal. So then I'm going to ask you to go through all these questions again. So once you go through the bid, no bid decision with your team, you're going to go through the questions again, but take the rose colored glasses and this is perfect for us concept. I want you to look at it critically with realistic eyes. Are we answering these questions with a too hopeful perspective? With that, it's perfect for us. We have to bid on this because it's perfect for us. Take that off and now go through the questions again. So look at all the answers and weigh whether it's worth it to bid or not to bid and bring the following people together in this discussion. Have the owner or manager on this discussion because they're gonna be investing the money to gather all the troops and put this proposal effort together. The sales team needs to come to this meeting because they need to bring their intel from the field. The program and project manager needs to come into this discussion because what you're gonna have is a little juxtaposed conversation. Sales team members and owners are gonna say, go, go, go. <laughs> program and project managers and technical are gonna all say, no, no, no. So you wanna bring everybody together because here's what's gonna happen if your sales team actually brought the technical team out into the field. If the technical team met the customer and they hit it off and they get what's going on and everybody's saying, go, 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 now you get the proposal manager involved and let's get, get going on this deal. The thing we need to look for of a no-go I call them tells. When you look at a bid and it actually comes out, I want you to go straight to the past performance. Look at the detailed description that they're offering on the past performance and what they're expecting out of you. And also take a look at whether the past performance is going to be part of the, the evaluation criteria and how much is the percentage. So for example, if you never worked with that agency before, and the past performance says, you must have past performance with this agency, 50% weight. Chances are not gonna be good. Unless you get a teaming partner who was the incumbent and you're teaming with them and they have the past performance. Take a look at the best value determinations that they've decided and how they're weighing them. Let's say they say safety records important. What's your safety record? Do you meet the safety record requirements? Are you gonna meet those points on that? What if the best value was you must have done work within five miles of this building? I've seen these kind of requirements on best values. And yes, I protested them. Hey, you can't say five miles from your building. That's only maybe one or two companies. So they opened it up to this entire state, but somebody else already landed that deal by convincing them that we're nearby. Local was important. Are they asking for any lessons learned in the similar size and scope? Why I'm asking that is if you were there early and you did a capabilities briefing and you showed them some of your case studies and your past performance and you showed them lessons learned, you told them your stories. So now they're asking for that in the bid and you tell the same stories they're going to be in the evaluation committee saying, hey, this is the company that did that told us before about the case study on that one project and how they overcame XYZ. Remember that story? It was so cool. They were looking for your proposal. 
Also in their key staff, take a look at the backgrounds and the, the degrees of the people that they're looking for and ask yourself, do I have the person they told us they wanted on my team? Maybe you have to hire the incumbents people if it gets transferred the opportunity to you from the incumbent. Be ready to hire some of the incumbents team that's already on site, that happens. So you gotta look for some of these hints. Now also take a look at the NAICS codes that they've decided and the labor category names and descriptions. If you're on GSA schedule and you have labor category names and descriptions, yet they're using a labor category that's not the same as yours. So for example, let's say you have engineer one, engineer two, engineer three, and they're saying technician one, technician two, technician three. That's your competitor's labor category. And now you're trying to play catch up to the labor category name, trying to map. Our engineer one is equal to a technician one in your description here. You know what? I would be looking up under the categories that I have. Who has those labor category descriptions and names? That's probably the company that's going to win this bid. Also, I want you to look at the performance work statement and the SOW. I've literally seen proposals that have been published on SAM.gov with the incumbent's name accidentally typed as the name of the document or in the document. So look for those tells. They make mistakes sometimes. So now what I'd like to do, we're going to go over to questions in a second, but before we do that, I just want to leave up my, my name, my information, just so you know how to get a hold of me. And I want to thank you for having me here. And I just wanted to throw it back to Michael to the Q&A sec section and see if there's any questions that have come up. Golly. Michael. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> I'm back. Let me see what we got here. Mm, that might be asking too much. I knew that. Anyway, I did see one on YouTube and I forwarded out to them. Uh, actually, let me see. Let's move this out of the way so we can see it. Uh, somebody asked me how they get to the uh, LMS. And uh, actually, a good place to put that would be right there. What do you think? And, Wonderful. That's <laughs> and uh, you can go to marketus.com and at the top, just click on LMS, Learning Management System. And down, uh, scroll down a little bit and you will see building box of building blocks of a winning proposal i had two oreo cookies for lunch while i was watching you and it just was <laughs> wonderful i was i was going to show them but i figured no let's not go there and it's just you know i was really going to do it more or less as a uh surprise 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 but anyway i digress i'm sorry uh, <laughs> let's kill that out of here uh other than that i don't see any other questions so I have what I do have one. I just saw that come in. This one's, I don't know whether this is a slam on you or it's just personal or they're confused. Have you ever written a loser? Yes, I have. I've got some good stories. Let me tell you a good story of a loser 
and a rough story of a loser. So I'm gonna start with the rough one. One time, the company that I was working for was a roofing company and a project manager who had just recently at the time put one of the largest green roofs on one of the largest buildings in a northern part of the country. And he was really proud of himself, Mike. And he was nosing around Sam.gov and he found this opportunity in Ogden, Utah. And it said green roof for a federal building in Ogden, Utah. And this was during the American Recovery Act when the idea of rebuilding buildings at the time was to keep the economy of the local businesses in Main Street going well. And although we had locations all over the country, we did not have a location in Utah. So he brought it forward. And the first thing I said was Ogden, Utah, no go. And he really, really, really wanted to go to Ogden, Utah. You know what's near Ogden, Utah? Salt Lake and some beautiful mountains and some fantastic skiing. And he started to make a lot of noise in the office saying, I really want to go to this walkthrough. Oh, by the way, it's on December 24th, the walkthrough. And I'm going, Ogden, Utah, December 24th, walkthrough, no go. <laughs> To me, it was so obvious, right? So he, they gave him permission to go to the walkthrough December 24th and he went and he was the only vendor, of course. And the, the project manager, Mike said, the green roof starts here. He pointed at one corner and he pointed at the other corner of the roof and it ends there and no drawings, none. So this gentleman came back after New Year's from Ogden <laughs> and a nice trip came back and said I had a great conversation with the project manager he said the green roof starts here ends there I think we're gonna win and I said no drawings Ogden Utah December 24th walkthrough you were the only one there no go and he got the company excited and got everybody in a whirl so we had to write the proposal we wrote the proposal Mike and you know who won the bid Guess who won you the bid? want to be a little more specific, please? <laughs> a company called Ogden Utah <laughs> Roofing. <laughs> I, have a, I have another question for you, though. It just came in. What is the best in Salt Lake City? What is the best ski resort in Salt Lake City? Um, I'm not sure. I've been to Salt Lake, and I've climbed and been around Utah, uh, Ogden, Utah myself. And I've been to family weddings in, in uh, Pocatello, which is a couple hours. You got to fly there. But I haven't skied there. Do you know? Well, are you ever not going to fall for that? <laughs> it's actually Alta, Utah. And the name of the slope is Sunspot. Ah. It was 1984. I was working for Honeywell and we were out there for something. I don't know what it was. On my way to Afsia and on our way back, they said it's cheaper if you go to, it's cheaper if you go skiing for the week because it saves us money on airfare. And yeah. I'm standing at the top of Sunspot next to a guy from GTE. And I said, Oh, look at these cute little plants. They're only about this big. Oh, he, looks me, he looks at me and says, You idiot. Those are 24 foot pines i went oh you're high i you're digress 
Yep. So I have another story, a good story, a successful story of writing a loser. And I think you'll like this one, Mike. And you'll keep that surprise, surprise, surprise nearby for me. It's what so it's cute. I in, so I was in uh, Minneapolis. I was talking to public building services and they needed three rooftops done. And they told us, we really want to work with a company at your caliber. We do. Um, we have three rooftops coming up. One in Fargo, one in Duluth, and one downtown here in Minneapolis. And she said to me, here's a tell. I need you to come to all three. I need you to come to all three. What did that mean? So the first bid came out for Fargo. It was a $150,000 rooftop. We sent in our proposal. Now, I had already predicted to everybody that she needed the bids for the files. She needed it for the files, especially the ones that were in the middle of nowhere. And I think, and I said, I think we're going to set ourselves up for the downtown opportunity. So the first bid came out, $150,000 rooftop, and we lost, but she redlined it, Mike. She tore it to pieces and gave us feedback at the debris. Then the second bid came out, $250,000 rooftop in, in uh, Duluth. We lost that one, but not as many red lines. It was lighter, like we had improved our, our concept. The third one came out, downtown Minneapolis, $850,000. We won that one. So my company at the time was really mad at me that we didn't win all three. And I said, didn't you understand? We were helping her with filling the files. We knew up front she needed them. She needed three bids. Secondly, she gave us feedback on our bids to make us better writers. And when the most important one, the highest profile one came out, the company that they, they needed a high profile company to win that one. She set us up for success. So if a, if a, if a contracting officer looks at you in the eye and says, I need you to come to this one this time, you're probably writing a loser because she needs three qualified bidders but there's a gentleman's agreement, no promises, that she's gonna spread the love to you at some point in time soon. You're helping her, she helps you. So show up when they ask you and know from the beginning you're writing a loser. So that's the good story. I have one last story of a bit I wasn't gonna write um, Homeland Security surprise, called me. Surprise, surprise, surprise. surprise. <laughs> and I got I one a, for you when you're done. Okay, good. I had a, um, I had a, uh, furn I did furniture rental when I was first selling the feds and, um, GSA called me their furniture team and they needed a delivery of a hundred workstations to Homeland Security. They called me on a Thursday. The bid was due Tuesday and delivery was that following Friday. So within seven days, they needed a hundred workstations up. And if you ever worked with workstations before, they're like tinker toys. You have to put them together. You need drawings. They had no drawings, Mike. 
So when they called me and asked me for a bid, I said, who's packing the trucks right now? Because someone, <laughs> if you need this by next Friday, someone should be arriving with trucks there now to get this done on time. And she said, no, 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 get it to me by Tuesday. So I got her the bid, but in the bid, Mike, I wrote, I need 10 days from the day I received drawings to deliver this furniture. I wrote a loser on purpose. I knew she needed it for the file, but I put in, I need 10 days. So I knew I would lose. So she called me at like five minutes after the bids were due. And she called me right away and said, Eileen, please, can you deliver by Friday, please? I said, absolutely not. If you don't have someone now, bidding and delivering now, it's never gonna get done by Friday. And she said, well, you lost. And I asked her, is this the point where I asked for a debriefing? And we both laughed. She said, yeah, you were $8,000 less than everybody, but I'm gonna have to give it to the one that promised me delivery by Friday. And I just said to her, hey, listen, call me on Saturday if you need anything. And sure enough, she called me Saturday and said, this is a disaster. It's a disaster. And from now on, we're just going to give you sole source contracts and 10 days notice after, after the drawings are delivered to you. So sometimes you'll write a loser and prove your point to win the rest of the business after that. So every situation is different, but use the bid, no bid criteria that we've created here in this training. And you're going to, and add your own extra questions to ask. And you're gonna get better and better and better at writing proposals that are only winners. Here's an interesting one for you. And I can't believe I have never told this story before. Way back in the early to mid eighties, when uh, we had the database wars, those of you that are old enough to remember, I worked for a company called Arbase. They had no idea what was going on in the government because they came from retail. I think the VP came from Entree. You remember them if you're old enough. And, you know, CompUSA and, you know, pick all of them. And I was, I had uh, artificial intelligence early, but you had to type it. There was no dictation or anything like that. Uh, we also had a very, very good database package because the owner of the company, Dr. Wayne Erickson, had actually written the database software on a VAX 1170, whatever the heck the model and one number was, for NASA to track the tiles on the shuttle. Each one had a unique serial number. His database tracked that. So he said, let me move it over to the PC, and they called it MicroRIM, Relational Information Manager. So a huge bid came up for um, Wright-Patterson in Ohio. And I think they wanted 2,000 copies of each of the different, I mean, they were just standardized on it. And all these teams are jumping up and down and none of those clowns even bothered calling me. I had to go out to them. I, I was the sales manager. So I went out and I was on all five teams. I give my weekly report and I t tell the, uh, the VP, I said, we're, uh, we're on a big bid and we're on all five teams. And the guy says, when's it gonna close? And I'm thinking, here we go, right in the old turlet. And as Archie Bunker used to say, and yeah. I said, Billy Bob, because I'm not going to use his real name in case he's still alive. 
And I said, we're not going to win all five. We're going to win one. We are guaranteed one. He couldn't understand that. I said, it's yeah. called hedging your bets. Hedging if, your bets. If you Great. bet win, play, show on every horse in the race, you can't lose. Yeah. You'll yeah. lose money, but you can't lose. So right. that that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Let's wrap this puppy up and because uh, we're uh, just about at an hour. Let's wrap it up. Awesome. And uh, <laughs> awesome. I can't remember who that was, but anyway, we got all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff. None of these DJ horns and all that, you know, Bush League stuff that I keep hearing on some of these others. I want to go through a couple things for you. Thank you all for joining. Uh, you've seen Eileen's information and uh, I see that they're still up. So let me shoot back over there. And there's the contact information for Eileen. Those of you that uh, want to shoot us a screenshot and uh, we'll move on from there. So we're wrapping up and I want to say thank you to everybody. And remember, we stream every Tuesday live to all four platforms. And next week, because I didn't get a chance to put the schedule up for December and January, but I was smart enough to come up with this. If you need help with your pricing, and he does a bunch of other things too, and Eileen jump in anywhere. John Barker, there's his phone number. PTW, pricing that wins. Oh yeah, pricing that wins. Well, pricing to win, that's it. Give John a call. He'll be on next Tuesday, right here. Same same day, same channel. Channels, plural. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. And uh, I don't see any other questions over here. And uh, I did put that cool question into Eileen. That was a setup. She didn't even know it was coming. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Eileen, thank you. And as always, we'll My see pleasure. you next Tuesday. Thank you and have a wonderful, safe day.